Thanks for tuning in to The Big Idea. I'm Michael Anderson, and we've got a great show for you today. We have Dr. Perry in studio. We hope to make the next 30 minutes a very good investment of your time. Today's show is brought to you by GEICO Local Office, car and homeowner's insurance for the 805. You could save up to 15%. Call Greg Mock of GEICO Local Office, 805-487-7847. Today, our feature interview is with Dr. Perry. He's in studio. He's been wonderful for many years, providing fabulous content. He's written books. He's done corporate engagement with uh, speaking. He's done a tremendous amount of work. I could list all of the companies he's worked with, names that you would definitely recognize, Charles Schwab, Ernst & Young, Dow Chemical, AT&T, Hewlett Packard, and there's 20 more plus, plus, plus. So Dr. Perry, it's a real treat to have you in studio today. Thank you for joining us. Michael, it's my pleasure to be on this side of the the studios because as you know, for 10 years, I got to host my own show where you're sitting right now. So it's a real tickle to be back in the studio, to see Spence, to see you. I'm delighted that you invited me and uh, what a what a treat to be here again. Well, you've got so much good content that you've produced over the years, and I thought it would be wonderful to have you on and just you know talk about a few things sure. and try and and that's what a lot of this show has been over the few years that we've been doing it here is trying to provide relevant and timely information to our listeners. We've had a number of authors on, we've had a number of great guests, and and it's a real treat to have you on. But I know you're working on something now, and I want to I want to start with this. We talked about embrace the obvious. Yes. Uh, Please share with our listeners what you're doing with this. I love that name, by the way, Embrace the Obvious. It's interesting about the obvious. And I have been in in business either on a clinical basis or working with major organizations or both. Uh, I'm in my 44th year right now. The good news for you and for your listeners is I'm just beginning to get the hang of this line of work. And what I've noticed more than half the time across the board after several decades of doing this is that invariably the answers, the solutions, the deliverables, the conclusions that might be pragmatic are almost always in the obvious. They're almost always right in front of your face. Have you ever done this? You know, where are my glasses? Oh, what do you know they're on my nose? Or where I can't find my keys in your pocket. You ever done that kind of thing? Oh, all the time. That's where, right. Where's the peanut butter? I can't find... Oh, it's right in front. It's right, right there. In, it's right there. It, the, the saying my mom used to say, if it was a snake, it would have bit you. Exactly. So what's really curious about that, Michael, is as follows. That which is right in front of your face is almost always the origin of the solutions. And the paradox is what's right in front of your face is almost impossible to see. And that's generally true for everybody. Quick example about the obvious. If I say embrace the obvious, then the second part of that is practice common sense. And as you know, common sense is very uncommon. So I'll give you a quick example. Let's suppose I take you out to the local airport here. And let's suppose I put you left seat in front of a King Air uh, twin turbojet. Turboprop. They're tuber jet engines that use use propellers. So now I put you in left seat in the front by yourself, pilot seat, to uh, fire up this King Air. And I say to you, okay, Michael, tell you what, how about you just get in the, and you do this and take it up and then do a few loop-to-loops and then a couple of touch and goes, and then you stop, land it, and come talk to me. Would you do that? Not a, not a chance. Okay. 
that could be called common sense. And you would avoid doing that because? Because I have no pilot's training under my belt, and that'd be very uncomfortable. That could be the obvious. Is that right? I would say so. Okay, so could we say it's unthinkable to go fly an airplane without a whole lot of training on how to do it? Yes, that uh, is unthinkable. Okay. So you wouldn't d dream of flying an airplane unless you really knew what you were doing, right? Uh, right. On the other hand, you'd try to fly a marriage without knowing the first thing on how to do it. That's right, too. That now, I think we you, all do. <laughs> if you just look at the obvious, there's about a 60 plus or minus percent f marriage failure rate in this country after you've been married five to eight years. That means close to two-thirds of all marriages invariably fail somewhere between five and eight years. And the remaining people who stay married, more than half of those people are somewhere between bewildered and miserable. Have you ever noticed? I think, it, I think it's a very difficult thing of course it to is. be successfully okay, married. So let's suppose you were to take the same logic that could be the obvious. Well, if I got to learn how to fly an airplane, I got to take a lot of training on how to do it. And if marriage is a big deal, and let's make it even more complicated, let's add some children to the mix, then would it be a good idea to learn how to make a marriage fly? Certainly, I think. So, do people do there's that? Good, there's good logic. Some people do. Definitely, some people do. How about the most majority? People? The majority of people don't. Yes, and that's very expensive, as Th you know. That, that's right. That's right. Another example about embrace, embrace the obvious. Would you say, Michael, that generally eating good quality food at reasonable portions and regular exercise would be really important to do? Would you call that obvious? I need to eat proper good food and I have to exercise regularly. Would well, you say certainly, that? Okay, certainly. Would, you, would you say that is generally obvious? Yes, it is. If I told you that 90% of U.S. citizen adults would agree with you, would you believe that? Yes. Okay. So do you find it sort of curious that 75% of U.S. citizens who are adults are going to eat right and exercise real soon? So that is, that is a beautiful statistic <laughs> because, so what's, well, what's, let's get into it though. So what, what does that really mean? What's happening there and why is it that way? Well, there's really something curious about the obvious. One is we as a species, particularly as we get more and more educated, we tend to get more attracted to the complex, meaning if it's really hard to figure out, that must be really good. Mm. So therefore, if it's obvious, well, that's obvious. Right. Like, for example, have you ever heard anybody say, well, come on, Michael, that's common sense. Everybody knows that. Is that true? Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of things that are that way. So therefore, if we say, gee, that's obvious, then we tend to think to ourselves, well, of course, I already know it's obvious. However, there's always a gap between what's obvious, because most everybody knows common sense, and what they actually do. It's the difference between what you know and what you do. A mm. quick example of the difference between what you know and what you do. I'm gonna guess every morning, since you were all, say, late elementary school, every morning, including this morning, you got up and you pulled yourself out of bed and then you went through your morning regimen to make you look as resplendent as you do now. And part of that morning regimen was to brush your teeth. I'm guessing you brushed your teeth this morning. Is that right? Yes. I did right. too. Yep. Now, have you ever in many years woken up in the morning on any day of the week and say to yourself, you know, today I refuse to brush my teeth? <laughs> no, I've not said it that way, but I have missed days of brushing my teeth. Generally, is it a deliberate choice to brush your teeth? 
Generally, uh, yeah. So therefore, could we say brushing my teeth, teeth brushing is common sense, and I know it, and I do it. Yeah, you could say that. Okay, so that's called I know it and I do it. It's obvious and it's common sense, therefore I do it. Agreed? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. So curiously, that could be really a good standard of conduct. I know it, it's common sense, I'm going to do it. Agreed? That's right. That's All right. So what, let's do this. Would you say that saving money over a long period of time is a real good thing to do? Definitely. All a right. lot of people don't do it. <clears throat> well, I'll tell you the numbers right about now. <laughs> Would we say, here, let's do common sense and the obvious again. If I ask you to do some consulting for me, and let's suppose the fee you're going to charge me to do the consulting is $1,000. And I say to you, well, I'll tell you what I want to do. I'd like to pay you $900 right now up front in cash because your fee is 1000 bucks, and I'm going to pay you right now up front for 900 bucks in cash. Will you do the job? Yeah, I would. Yeah. What would you say if I told you everybody will do the job for 90% of the fee? Yeah, I think most people would. Well, that could be obvious too. Right. So what's curious is if everybody would do the job for 90% of the fee, then... What do you do with that extra 10%? I mean, what you could do is take the 10% off the top and put it aside in some bank somewhere. And many years later, you got a lot of money saved up because you would have done the job for 90% of the fee in the first place. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Okay. So, so, so wait, that could be obvious and it could be common sense. Agreed? Okay. All right. A couple of months ago on the front page of the USA Today newspaper, there was an article about baby boomers. Now, I happen to be a baby boomer. I'm unclear if you are. You might be on no, the cusp. I'm not. No. Okay. <laughs> not quite there. Okay. Well, then you, you have a few more years before you really want to illuminate your brain damage. Right. All right. So on the front page of USA Today, there was an article about baby boomers, of which I am one. And baby boomers were born somewhere between 1949 and 1961, something like that, which means many of them are either retired or they're retiring. Agreed? Okay. Okay. So get this. 80%. 80% of baby boomers today have less than $20,000 saved up. That seems insane. It's scary. Okay. No, furthermore, another one, a couple of weeks later in USA Today, front page came out and said that 80% of baby boomer parents are still paying for their own children. That's shocking. I have not heard that. Mm. So could we say that if you... If you know that brushing your teeth is a really good thing to do, you know it, and then you actually do it, you got much better teeth over the long haul. If you know, for example, that saving money is a good idea and you just always take 10% off the top, many years later, you got a bunch of money. If you know that eating right and exercising is really good, then you probably are going to be less likely to have hypertension, gastrointestinal problems, higher degrees of cancer, type 2 diabetes sleep disorders, on and on and on, as enormous population of people have because they take such terrible care of themselves. Now, that could be all called embrace the obvious, and it could be called common sense. So what's interesting, after all these years of doing this, I've noticed that if I make my work a lot less complex and more concentrating on the obvious, which is invariably where all these solutions are, then I notice people are a lot less intimidated because it, it's, it's free of sounding 
clinical. And moreover, if I can help them resolve, gee, I, I need to start doing more of what I already know, because being highly functional is you know common sense, now you just have to do what you know. So the idea is, if I can get larger populations to observe the obvious, and then apply their own thinking to operate from common sense, which is well over half the time, then they're by far more functional in every dimension of their lives than they are now. This is a great you know, understanding that you bring. Yes. But you and I and the listeners, we all know that a lot of people still struggle with embracing the obvious. Most people do. And I think one thing you mentioned, which I find interesting, you mentioned that sometimes we seek complexity. And when it is yes. obvious, <clears throat> yes. and when it is sometimes easy or basic, yes. maybe we skip over it. We do skip over it. We tend to think, well, why would I want to focus on the obvious? I already know that. An example, customer service. You have customers, yes? Yes. Okay. How important in your business is customer service? Very important. Okay. Would you say it's number one? I would say it's probably top three. Okay, so what would you say if I said that every time I talk to anybody who runs either giant organizations or medium or small ones, what would you say if I said that when I say how important is customer service, everybody says, well, it's number one. Would that be reasonable? Yeah, I think so. Okay, so could that be obvious? Yes. Then is it curious when you're a customer going to buy any service or a product, Whenever you get great customer service, it's really the surprise and, it, and the exception. Is that right? Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. So when businesses, because I work with lots of businesses all over the world, when businesses say some form of, yeah, well, we went bankrupt or we're doing pretty poorly or something, and then they say, you know what it is? It's the economy. It's the time of year. It's these people I have working for me. That's the problem. My thoughts are... Talk to me about customer service. How important is that? And they'll say it's number one. And I'll say, okay, so um, you have a service that you do, and if customer service is number one, how much are you and your people somehow unconsciously encouraging your customers to go away? Right. For example, right. a restaurant. Most restaurants fail over a period of years. Difficult business, definitely. Yes, very, yeah, and having said that, if you go to a restaurant where the food is outstanding and the service stinks, are you likely to go back? No. Go to another restaurant, the food is pretty good and the service is outstanding, will you go back? Probably. So could we say more than half the time it's about the service? That's a big deal. So could we say in any business more than half the time it's about the service and the service well over half the time is all about the relationship? Yeah, that's a big deal as well. So could we say most every business is in the relationship business? I would agree with that. Most, <laughs> most You're right. There you how go. How you buy is a big reason of why you buy and Not how that feels <clears throat> when you do it. Exactly There's right. There's so many studies that talk about the emotional side. It's always emotional. Of what it's like to buy. It's always emotional. Even the most technologically oriented people who are very left brain and linear thinking, it's always about emotions. It's fascinating, though, because a lot of companies that's, that – have a difficult time with creating good customer service. Yes. They say it, yeah. but then they don't do it. They don't deliver the promise. Translated, they know it, but they don't do it. That's Back right. Back again to, I know it's important to brush my teeth, and what do you know? I do it. I've mastered that, so let's do a lot more of what I already know. Does it come back to, if we're talking about a business, and you say that's what you, and you know it, 
Yes. And then the ability to do it. Yes. There's a lot of work that has to go into actually do it. Yes. It's easy to say it. Yes. But you have to incentivize people and, along the way. You yes, have to absolutely. you know have reviews. You have to That's absolutely correct. So, and and that a lot of work is what I call you gotta pay the freight. Whatever the freight is, you gotta pay it. Example. If one of your customers is a new one and buys a lot of product from you, are you appreciative? Certainly. Do you want to send them a thank you note? Yes. Do you send them a thank you note? Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, often, okay, well you, and, and oftentimes it's the intention is that, you know, I, I want to send a card for this or I want to, you know, give them a phone call for the birthday or I want to. And sometimes that doesn't happen. More than half the time it doesn't happen. It's either a text or an email or nothing. So let's do this. Supposing, oh, by the way, when you were a kid, did your mom or dad teach you anything about writing thank you notes? We, we talked about it. We, there were a few times over the holidays where, hey, you got to write a thank you note. They gave you, okay. you know, a graduation gift. You got to write a thank you note. Okay. So did you do it? I'll, I'll say that there were, there were thank you notes that I wrote. Right. There were also some times where I intended to but didn't. All right. Now we're going to go back to the embrace the obvious. When you think of the last decade that you've been alive doing whatever you do, do you ever get personalized notes in the mail, the snail mail? Very rarely. Okay, when you get a personalized, handwritten, stamped note in the snail mail that's appreciating you or showing you condolences or showing you empathy or really you went the extra mile and somehow or another they want you to know how much you touched their lives. Do you toss that letter right away or do you look at it several times? Yeah, I probably look at it more than once. Right, and you put uh, it definitely. right here on your desk so you can look at it again. I appreciate that, but there's, there's, a, there's also a, a caveat here. Yes. If it's something where I feel like I did something that warranted that, yes. I feel really good about it. Okay, great. Sometimes I feel like people are just writing a letter because they know that the letter's appreciated. Maybe. But but I it, I did nothing to warrant them writing a okay. letter. Hold the that, phone. Hold the okay. phone here. Okay. <laughs> if somebody bothers to write you a thank you note and you are critical of yourself and you are saying, gee, I wonder if I really deserve this thank you note, what's more important, your feeling about whether you deserve it or the fact that they appreciated what you did? I think they want something from me, which is why they did it. Maybe, it's not maybe that they're not. saying thank you. It's that they're – so maybe that's skepticism on my part. You think? That could be the obvious. It, yeah, it could be. It could it be. It could be. Right, but so, I think we all have that too. Well, sure we do. I mean, it's it, for the same reason that if I give you a compliment, you might actually discount it and invalidate it. That's what everybody oh, does. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> so, so here's the deal. If you – want to build, let's, let's say you want to build your, your business and you want to improve the quality and the glue in your relationships with your customers. And let's suppose you instruct yourself and you instruct everybody who works for you to write handwritten thank you notes, particularly to new customers or re-upping customers or customers that bought a bunch of products. Supposing it was just standard procedure that everybody in your company, and they're going to grouse about it at first, are now required to write, Dear Mr. Jones, thank you so much for doing business with us. It's a great pleasure to meet you. I'm looking forward to um, working with you some more. I'm looking forward to meeting you again, you know, whatever it is. Supposing you did that. Everybody in your company did that, which, of course, is a fair amount of freight to pay, and then you get to pay the postage as well. Question, is there a greater percentage of your customers who will be impressed? 
Well, certainly, certainly. There's. I want to share one story. As you're mentioning that, it made me think of a, a recent encounter I had with someone that wowed me. Yeah. In, in this case, and I'll, I'll bring technology because they didn't write me a letter, but what they did was I joined this private Facebook group. Yes. And uh, and for that, you, you have to answer three questions before they allow you in. Yep. The the admin of that group. She went and turned on her video camera, made a video note specific to me and the three questions I did, emailed it to me, and I knew there were like 50 people that joined this group at the same time, and I'm thinking to myself as I received it, here's someone that I truly respect. Everything they're doing online and Facebook and all this digital marketing they're creating and explaining how it works, and I'm like, this is amazing. A personalized touch. And it felt amazing. It felt exactly as you're describing. I was wowed. That's right. So the reality is that if you just let's take you, if you make a point every time somebody touches your life, you send them a thank you note. Mm -hmm. Every time you know about somebody whose mom just died, you write them a condolence note in the mail. Let's suppose you did that. And then let's suppose you did something really special, like a videogram or something like that. The point is now you're standing out. And the reason you're standing out is you're touching their lives. And what really affects people's lives in terms of their life quality has to do with how much their life is being touched. At the end of the day, Michael, life is about two things, only two. One, it's about touching people's lives. And two, it's about getting your life touched. And it's more than coincidental that when you touch people's lives, you get your life touched. And all the rest is noise how much money you made, where you lived, how how many publications you got, how much money raises you got, you know, all that kind of stuff. That's nice. Does anybody care about that? Really? No. What they care about is the value and the meaning of of your life. And what really affects your life is when your life is touched. Oh, I'm sorry. That could be called the obvious. Now, you mentioned that it's more than coincidental. Yeah. When this happens, it's more than coincidental to touch someone's life and to have your life touched. That's right. It's more than coincidental. So you're saying that it's intentional. You're saying it's more than coincidental. There's an intent here. It's uncommon to take those efforts. That's right. Nowadays. It's whatever the extra mile is, is rarer and rarer. So when people say nobody writes thank you notes anymore, my, my answer is exactly, which is why it's so impressive when you actually do it, because few people write thank you notes anymore. And, and they'll say, well, I can't write cursive. And I'll say, how about you just print it? I think you know something about printing, don't you? I want to continue the conversation. I really appreciate this. We're talking with Dr. Perry. He's in studio today. He has a program, jmperry.com is the website, and uh, the program Embrace the Obvious. There's a number of other stuff on there as well. One of the things you talk about, um, replace, reinforce, rehearse. Yes. And with regards to rehearsing, you have this comment that uh, what you rehearse, you will duplicate. Exactly right. Share, Share with our listeners what you mean here. Okay. What you rehearse, you will duplicate. You know some people who complain, grouse, bellyache, catastrophize, awfulize most of the time. Is that right? Definitely. A lot of people are that way. They focus on the negative all the time. Yeah, so could we say- they relate on that. So you run across somebody who bellyaches and kicks and screams and jumps ups and down and it isn't fair and see how I got screwed over. and and is that guy didn't do me right. Yeah, that's right. And, And I hate you too. You know, some people do it so much, they do this, they behave this way, essentially. 
In parentheses, without telling you, they say essentially the following. I'm afraid you're going to dislike me. How fortunate. I already dislike you. Mm. I'm afraid you're going to reject me. What do you know? I'm going to reject you. I'm afraid you're going to betray me. Well, <laughs> that's good. I've already betrayed you. So a lot of people behave in a miserable, cranky, pejorative manner. Is that true? Yeah, definitely. See so could all the we time. say people who, that, who are that way, miserable, negative, whiners, problem describers, could we say they rehearse that behavior routinely? Yes. Could we say they're pretty good at it? It's a muscle that gets very strong. Okay, uh, let's do the next one. Do you know people who are uh, whiners, problem describers, they invariably are unable to keep a job, they drink uh, too much or they do substance abuse or they're always whining and saying, poor me, you have no idea how difficult it is. You ever run into people like that? Sure. Are they good at it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. could we say losers practice being losers? Yeah. Could we say people who are fit practice being fit? Definitely. Okay, so could we say, therefore, let's just do the obvious again. There are three ways, both in your personal life and in your professional life, that you will find out on an ongoing basis what other people think of you. It could be your employees, could be your neighbors, could be your family, your extended family, could be your spouse, could be anybody in your life. And this is important. I, I'm always wondering. I think everyone subconsciously is always wondering. I always think, how do people think about me? Exactly. I'm thinking about how they're thinking That's about right. me. Uh, and people often will say, oh, I couldn't do that. What would people think? As if they're going to do a research project and find out. <laughs> right. Okay. All right. So. There are three ways, personally or professionally, extended family, local community, your spouse, your children, whoever. Three ways in which anybody else in your network will give you some kind of feedback about what they think about you. One is criticism, criticism of you. Next is silence, which very often is criticism with the volume turned down. And the third one is reinforcement. Criticism is, I think you stink. Silence is, parentheses, gee, is it, does it occur to you because I'm being quiet, you stink. And then the third one is, I think you're ter pretty terrific, and let me tell you why. So could we say <clears throat> that, and by the way, I've been now to 61 countries and 17 industries all over the world, and it's pretty much the same regardless of people's ethnic background, their color, their religion, their organization. It's pretty much the same everywhere. Three ways in which you will find out how you're doing as far as they are concerned. What would you say if I told you that most everybody, particularly grown-ups, and certainly a lot of younger people, but most all grown-ups become experts in two of the three? I, okay. Which are the two? I would say silence and criticism. Exactly. Could we say most of us grow up with a fair amount of self-doubt or hypersensitivity or we take things very personally or we wonder if anybody really cares about us? And could we say if that's pretty common, it's because everybody becomes pretty good at silence and criticism. So let's go back to you. You're married. Is that right? Yeah, I am. Okay. Go back to when you were courting. Okay. Mrs. Michael. <laughs> okay. When you were courting her, were you on your best behavior? Yeah, I would say so. And was she? 
I think so. And did you work overtime to look good, to smell good, to be responsive, to be interested, to be affectionate, caring? Did you give each other reinforcement and care and affection and closeness? And gee, I think you're terrific. And I love the way you smile. And I love how I feel when I'm around you. Did you ever do that stuff? We were both putting our best foot forward. So could we say, therefore, you knew a lot about giving reinforcement to somebody you really wanted to like you? Yeah, definitely. All right. So could we say, though men and women get married for all kinds of different reasons, and rarely do they talk about why, could we say that men and women do get married, and they agree at least on one of those reasons why we're getting married, and it's a form of this. This courtship is so terrific. If 